Saving the best for last. Jesus is the last Adam. We've got a handout there, and I just noticed that uh, when I was doing a little cut and pasting on the handout there, I liked the way part two was formatted. So I, I took part two, and then I brought it up to the top, and I neglected to change the T-W-O to O-N-E. So uh, y'all make sure you make that little notation there. Uh, only two... Only two parts of the sermon today, only two points in the sermon today. It's almost not Baptist, but, um, but uh, part one and part two, and I wanted to make sure that I didn't confuse you any more than I already have. May I tell you about the very best sermon that I ever heard? Now, please understand that I have heard a lot of sermons in my life. As a matter of fact, I, I have heard thousands of sermons. Thousands, Brother Kevin? Oh, yes, thousands. Uh, that big number is the gospel truth. Uh, I was blessed to be raised in a family that was just in the church and came to church. And uh, church back then was kind of three or four times a week. And, and revivals were for two or three weeks in a row. And so... It, it was not unusual for me to hear three or four sermons in, in any given week. So I was trying to figure out, Sam, I was trying to figure out, how many sermons have I heard? Uh, I'm 61. I've been around for a little bit. And I don't know the exact number, but I did some careful conservative computing yesterday. And uh, I have come up with 7,129 sermons. And then after I came up with that number, I was thinking, oh, wait a minute, that's not counting all the sermons that I heard when I was working at the Bill Rice Ranch, or I was going to those Sword of the Lord conferences, or the Gospel Coalition, or Together for the Gospel, and, and even a seminary class where they, bless their hearts, tried to teach me how to be a better preacher. I have heard a lot of sermons in my life. 7,129, I think, might be pretty accurate. Maybe a little bit on the low side. I've heard some good sermons, and I've heard some bad sermons. And as some of you well know, I have been responsible for some of those bad sermons. Um, yeah, really. Sorry, I apologize. I've spent much of my life listening to sermons. Uh, but You know, when you begin to think back about memorable sermons, I remember one sermon in particular that was outstanding. I was in college, and evangelist Billy Kelly came and he preached to us in chapel one day. Now, please note that I said evangelist Billy Kelly. I didn't say Pastor Bob Kelly. Pastor Bob Kelly was my family's pastor for many years, and uh, some 40 years ago, he officiated at Rhonda's and, and my wedding, and he was our pastor for many years. And he was a great, great pastor. He spoke with such passion and excitement and enthusiasm. And he spoke so fast that he had a nickname. Uh, it was an affectionate nickname. But uh, he spoke so fast and could say so many words in a given uh, time period that uh, he was known as Machine Gun Kelly. Uh, but the sermon that stands out for me today uh, was, not, was not preached by Brother Bob who I love dearly. 
but it was uh, by this evangelist, Billy Kelly. It's the only sermon I ever heard from him. It was just that one sermon. And in that sermon, I can remember the main point. I can remember a story that he told us in that sermon. And I can remember the three last words that he gave us as he closed his sermon. And I promise you that I will tell you that very same story. And I promise you that I will end this message with those same three words. And I'm telling you that now at the beginning of the sermon because I want you to not lose hope. Because it's going to be a while before I get to the end of the sermon. And it could be a rough sledding. It could be a long and winding road. Why? Because part one, first part of the sermon is about sin, death, and hell. Let's ask the Lord to bless us in our time. Father, please take your humble servant and speak through him. Help him say the words that you have him to say. Help him to say them in the manner that you'd have them to be said. Help them to be said effectively. And Lord, I pray for the listeners. That you will touch their ears and they will hear what you want them to hear. And they will apply these words to their lives. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Part 1, Sin, Death, and Hell. I remember from uh, the book of James, written by the Lord Jesus' brother, James. James chapter 1, verse 13 says this, No one undergoing a trial should say this, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then... After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Did you catch the sequence there? James tells us that our evil desire leads to sin, which leads to death. That's a line. That's linear. That's a straight line. Evil desire leads to sin, which leads to death. What starts as an evil desire leads to sin and then to death. That's a straight line. And that progression is not natural and it's not in a circle either. It's not cyclical. How many times have we heard the nonsense from Disney ad nauseum about the circle of life? There is no circle of life. There is a line of life. There is a beginning and there is an end. We are born, we live, we die. But our lives don't end in a physical death. Death is not the end of the line for us. At least physical death is not the end. The writer of Hebrews says this, And just as it is appointed unto man once to die, after this, the judgment. So you could draw the line like this. You could start at birth. You could talk about sin. You could talk about death. And then there's going to be judgment. That's our life sequence. And if we get to the judgment and we have not somehow escaped the consequences of our sin, our evil desires which led to sin, then the second death awaits us in hell. 
if we've not had our sin issue resolved, if our life sequence is unchanged, we end up in hell. And so there it is, brothers and sisters. That's a long line of trouble. How in the world did we get into this mess? The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Who was that man? Adam. Who was that one man? Adam. Who was that one man who by sin entered into the world? Adam. Our daughter was disciplining her oldest son. She has four sons. And she made a rookie mistake that parents sometimes make. And, and she asked her son, why did you do that? She was asking him about a particular sin that he had committed. And she said, why did you do that? Out of frustration, she said it. And he answered very theologically. And he said, because sin entered into the world. (laughs) Oh, so true. And he probably knew that with that theological answer, he might escape a whipping. So, Adam, the first man... His first Adam, representative of the human race, put us on the path to sin, death, and hell. Is that our fate? We're born, we live, we sin, we die, judgment, hell. Well, we are born to die. And we are the children of Adam. And as Moses sang to God in Psalm chapter 90, he said, Moses said this, sang this to God, he said, You return mankind to the dust, saying, return descendants of Adam. We uh, did something we have never done here before as a church. We we had Ash Wednesday this last Wednesday. And wearing the ashes are a visible reminder that our lives are precious and short. And if you had the opportunity to participate in Ash Wednesday service, when you received your ashes, either Brother Ken or maybe your, your father or your husband said, as he administered the ashes, he said, remember, you are dust. And that statement, remember, you are dust, is a direct quote from Psalm chapter 103, verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Who is he? He's the Lord. The Lord knows. He knows that we're dust. He knows that our lives are short. Our years last 70 years. Or if by reason of strength, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle struggle and sorrow. And then we fly away. And Moses says, teach us to number our days so that we may attain a heart of wisdom. Death is a grounding essential. It helps us filter out the things that aren't essential. Death helps us focus on the eternal. And for us, the eternal is the essential. Colossians 3 says this, 
If then you have been raised with Christ. He's talking to Christians here. If then you have been raised with Christ. Because all of us as Christians have been raised with Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above. Not on things that are on earth. Have you been raised with Christ? Then you should focus on the eternal. If you've been raised with Christ... You should be thinking about Jesus in heaven. If you've been raised with Christ, then you know that everything around us is going to pass away. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus said, why are you worried? You know, every single thing that the disciples were worrying about that day when Jesus said that, and the people who heard him say that, every single thing that they were worried about, has passed away. They're not a factor anymore. I used to worry about whether my team was going to win the game or not. Then I got to thinking, and it normally comes to me around the third week of October every year. And then I got to thinking, did we win last year? Well, no, we probably didn't win last year either. But how bad did we get beat? You know, it didn't really matter. Because everything that is around us is going to pass away. Moms, dads, look at your children. They're going to last forever. I know how long your children are going to live. I know how long you're going to live. You're going to live forever. But if you've been raised with Christ, you should be seeking the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. Where's your mind set? Mindset. Love that term. Where's your mindset? Normally people say, what's your mindset? I'm asking you, where's your mindset? Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And death is the eternal grounding. It reminds us of the essential eternity. And death is real. Sometimes we live in a bubble. Death seems to be oh so far away. But then like a lightning bolt, out of the blue, the reality of death hits us full force. My brothers and sisters, sin is real. Death is real. And just as real as sin and death, judgment is real. Hell is real. We talked about sanctification today in Sunday school and the struggle that that is. And I think Paul was thinking about that when he said in Romans chapter 7, and did he, did he say it or did he scream it? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Ah, but Paul saved the best for last and I've saved the best for last too. It's been all gloom and doom up to this point. It's been sin, death, and hell. And that's how it was with Paul too. But in the very next verse, Paul says, Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The answer that gives us hope. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the first part of this sermon was sin, death, and hell. The last part of this sermon, part two, righteousness, life, heaven. Make sure you know now, that's not our righteousness. That's His righteousness.
Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says, Since by the one man's trespass, we're talking about Adam now, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Who was that one man? Jesus. Who was that one man by whom sin was slain? Jesus. Who was the one man who defeated death? Jesus Christ, the last Adam. All my life I've heard Jesus referred to as the second Adam. I like last Adam better. He's the best Adam. Jesus doesn't come in second place. Through Jesus Christ, the curse has been reversed. Instead of sin, death, and hell, through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the great exchange can take place. We now have His righteousness, life, heaven. We start our lives trapped in sin on the way to our death, the dusty road to death. And our deaths take us into eternity without God. Which is by very definition, hell. But God loved us even while we were sinners and provided a way of escape. So we can end our lives here on earth, trusting in the riches of His grace, on the way to life everlasting with God in heaven. Psalm 131. The psalmist says, Israel, put your trust in God, for there is the promise Life forevermore. Eternal life is the great, great promise. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, Paul says, But God commendeth us, commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you know, God looked down through time, and he said, they're going to have to have some help, or they're not going to make it back to me. And the only way that they're going to be able to do that is through my son, And so God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God's a planner. God makes it happen. And He did that for us as sinners. You know, it's worse than that. If you look in verse 10 of chapter 5, He says, while we were still enemies. So it's not just that we had messed up, flubbed up, made some mistakes. Been a little bit disobedient? No, we were enemies. God sent Jesus to die for us when we were his enemies, dead in our trespasses and sin. For the believer, the best is yet to come. Jesus has paid the price for our sins. Jesus, the last Adam, has taken on himself our reconciliation and he has saved the best for last. As believers, we have so much to look forward to. And I believe I've saved the best for last in this sermon, too. Remember Evangelist Billy Kelly and one of the best sermons I ever, ever heard? I told you that I specifically remembered one story that he told in that sermon. I remember his main point. And I also remember the last three words that he said to us. And the story goes something like this. There was a young, young lady who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and she'd been given less than three months to live. 
And so she knew that she needed to get her affairs in order. And so she contacted her pastor and, and he, he came to her house. And the pastor was very respectful and it was even more tragic than normal because she was such a young lady. And she told him uh, some of her final wishes. She went into some detail. She told him which songs she wanted sung at the funeral, which scriptures she would like to have read, which she even went to which outfit she wanted to be buried in. Everything was in order. And the pastor was preparing to leave. And the, and the young lady said, oh, yeah, there's one more thing. And this is so important. And the pastor said, well, what is it? She said, this is so important. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor didn't know what to say. So she said, that surprises you, doesn't it? And the pastor said, well, you know, honestly, I don't know that I've ever had this one before. So it is kind of strange. So the young woman with the terminal illness, three months to live, said... My grandmother, my grandmother once told me this story, and from that time on, I've always tried to pass this meaning, this little story on to others who need encouragement. She said, in all my years of attending potluck dinners, and she must have been a Baptist. She said, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course are being cleared, sometimes someone would always lean over to me. Sometimes it was my grandma and she would say, keep your fork. She said, that was one of my favorite parts because I knew that something better was coming. Something like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie. Did I tell you I was on a diet? Yes, I'm still on a diet. Something wonderful and with substance. So... The young lady said, I just want people to see me there in that casket with a fork in my hand. I want them to wonder, what's the deal with the fork? And then I want you to tell them, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. The pastor's eyes welled up with tears. He hugged her. He knew that this would be one of the last times he would see her alive. But he also knew that this young woman seemed to have a better grasp of heaven than, than he did. She had a better grasp of what heaven would be like than a lot of us. She knew that something better was coming. And so it came to pass that she did die. And at the funeral, people were walking by the young woman's casket. And they saw what she was buried in. And then they saw the fork placed in her right hand. And over and over, the pastor heard people saying, what's, what's with the fork? So during his message, the pastor took the opportunity to share with the congregation what the young woman's last request of him had been. And he told them how the fork symbolized that the best was yet to come. He told the people that he could not stop thinking about that and he hoped that they could not stop thinking about it either. So, Christian, I know many of you are really suffering right now. And I know some of you are really going through difficult times. And I know that outside of the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ, death awaits us all. But, Christian, remember, the best is yet to come. 
Just like God saved the best for last and Jesus is the last Adam. Dear believer, I say to you that it's like God is leaning over the banister of heaven and He's whispering in your ear. Keep your fork. Keep your fork.